You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. You see Dan Orlovsky yesterday, Jake, about the Colts? You said he was optimistic, right? Dan Orlovsky yesterday tweets this. Counted 36 plays between the Colts' offense and defense that are literally one player doing their job away from being much different results. They aren't as far off as it feels, but you have to have to fix that soon. Only major issue I feel is left tackle. Okay, well, here's the thing. Um, You know, I, I in... Fernando Alonso's Indy 500, I only counted 78 laps where they had an issue, and the only problem I saw was the front left tire. I, I, I mean, left tackle's fairly important. Arguably the most important position on the field, not named quarterback. And then secondly, 36 plays. That's like a third of the game, right? I mean, only 36 plays? Yeah. Well, let's go. All right. Sweet. I mean, Jake, not to bring up, you know, it's like Jake saying, well, you know, only a third of that math test was an issue for me. That's correct. Well, you're already down to a C. That's correct. Now, the big... I was like, God... Uh, So, I don't know. Maybe we're taking the glass half full and we're immediately turning it to glass half empty. I've said this before before about left tackle, but I think it's worth mentioning it again. That mistake to me has been a multi-year, kind of a multi-year building sort of mistake. When Anthony Costanzo first flirted with retirement, that should have been the red flag. We need to draft a tackle. need to try and develop someone. Matt Pryor was literally stunned when the Colts told him, that they wanted to move him to left tackle and that they thought he could be a starter. When the guy that you're asking to do the job is stunned, is that not a red flag? That's that's usually a bit of an indicator that there could be an <laughs> is issue. Is that not alarming? I I would like to see Bernard Ryman in there. Not tomorrow night. I think Pryor will probably be the guy because you haven't practiced all week long. But next week when you get that additional practice coming back from the mini-bye week, if Pryor and Ryman are going to be about the same, play the rookie. That's totally fair, yeah. I mean, at some point... I'm Bernard Ryman, and I'll be back. Heck yeah. That pause gets me every time. At some point... And look, I think the Colts could win tomorrow night. I do, because I think Denver's got the same issues that Indianapolis does. But if they come back, if they don't win, Kevin, at least two of these next three, at Denver, Jacksonville, and then at Tennessee... If they don't if they don't win two of those three, then at some point you start moving to the future, don't you? And you just you just say, you know what? It's I mean, can you, if, if you lose if you lose two of three, if you lose three, Jake, you know you get to that trade deadline end of October. Do you become a seller? That, yeah, possibly. It's stuff that I know internally probably isn't even being discussed about right now, but those are questions you have to have Look, if if it goes down that path. Some people were asking about Bernard Ryman. I'll sneak this in, Jake, before you, you go. Um, Ryman's been dealing with an ankle injury. He rotated in the first two weeks, still getting back to full speed on that. I think that's part of the reason why we haven't seen him in there more. The, the thing about broken record here, I realize, the team's – that the Colts are looking towards to stay on pace with in the AFC. 
Buffalo, Kansas City, the Bengals. I don't know that I'd say New England. Baltimore, certainly. Um, who else am I missing here? In the, I mean, obviously Tennessee, right? Um, Jacksonville, maybe. But if you look at those teams, Kevin, Miami. Now, Miami drafted Tua. Did they move up or did they organically have the fifth overall pick? I believe organically. Okay. Cincinnati organically had the number one overall pick and Joe Burrow was there. And the Chargers took Herbert right after Tua. The Chargers moved up to get Justin Herbert, correct? God, Mark, would you would you look that up? For some reason, I'm thinking those three teams kind of stayed pat. Okay. I yeah. honestly thought the, the one tra- 2020 draft, yeah. I thought the one trade really somewhat early would have been the Colts at 13 trading that pick for DeForest Buckner. The Bills traded to move up to get to Josh Allen. Correct. The Chiefs traded to move up to get to Patrick Mahomes. Huge trade up by the Chiefs. The Ravens took Lamar Jackson when a lot of people passed on him or when the Ravens probably had need elsewhere. And they traded up to get Lamar Jackson. They did trade up to get him? Okay. And they still took they and they took him again. Bill Polian said he's a receiver, right? Um my point being, yes, it is not easy to get a quarterback. And teams searched long, long, long and hard and far and wide to do so. But there's also plenty there's equally the number of precedent, if that makes sense, of teams that saw their guy and went out and got him and did what they had to do to put themselves in position to get a quarterback. And the ask the Cleveland Browns, the going out and just recycling eight-year veterans with two years left on their in their lifespan over and over and over, it just it doesn't work. At some point, you got to bite the bullet and say, you know what, we're, we're, we're getting after this. It, there is – the quarterback position is going to be for the Colts in this year's upcoming draft, and I can't believe it's October and we're talking 2023 draft, but the quarterback position is going to be the receiver – if Chris Ballard thought he got tired of hearing people talk about wideouts heading into this draft, huh, let me tell you something. The quarterbacks available in this year's upcoming draft, I, I don't care if the Colts all of a sudden here get hot and win the Super Bowl and as a result are drafting 28th. They, they've got to package players together to move up and get a quarterback, period, because you can't keep going and buying people's Lexuses that have 195,000 miles on them. Eventually, you've got to bite the bullet, trade in your car, and throw in your flat screen television if need be to get yourself a car that is new to you. I think you're also seeing that wide receivers are first round talent ready. You've seen all these guys that are going in the first round. You're like, wow, that's a rich prize to to do. But you see like Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, all these guys that are number one first round picks. Like there's talent there. Like wouldn't you love to have one of those guys on the Colts? You have to start using your draft capital for those guys as well, I feel like. You know, I obviously people understand that Chris Bauer and I disagree on the wide receiver position. We disagree even more on how you acquire a quarterback. By far. Um, 
I've said it from day one. The moment Andrew Luck retired, at that point, every single resource has to go into how do we get the next guy? When do we get the next guy? Because until you have that, you create a ceiling on your franchise. And the Colts have had a ceiling on their franchise throughout the last, I guess now, four seasons of you can only get so high with your with your current quarterback group. And even if you get to that ceiling, like let's say for some reason the Matt Ryan thing worked out or works out. The Colts turn it around. The Colts win, you know, 11 games. They win the AFC South. They, you know, win a playoff game, and then they lose to the Chiefs in the divisional round of the playoffs. Next year, same thing. Well, then Matt Ryan retires. And now you're scramble mode. Now you're, okay, you continue to get back to the same sort of question you've had since 2019. And yesterday I mentioned it. Jim Irsay has lofty goals for the franchise, and I know that it seems a bit ludicrous at times, but he wants two Super Bowls in a decade. And I I feel like, okay, if that's his goal, then if you're the general manager, the best way to try and achieve that is, is to go out and find a young quarterback that you build with, you grow with, and that is your guy, that is the mainstay, because more than any other position on the football field, it's quarterback that can cover up other deficiencies. Whereas now, you've got a roster where quarterback is is a question, and you've got other positions that are also deficient in certain areas, and you don't have the one guy at the most important position in sports to hide, mask some of those other flaws where you can get away with it. The Colts can't get away with it right now. They're they're going to win in Denver, though, aren't they? Which, I mean, I'm not saying I don't want them to, but the, but watch. Denver's having the same issues, man, I'm telling you. I mean, the you. spread's only three. I, I, don't, I don't think it would be a shocking upset by any means. I mean, Denver is struggling, and Russell Wilson's hurt. Right shoulder injury. I, I don't think anyone ever wants to see that for their quarterback. Right shoulder. He says he's A-OK, right? Yeah, but you put one hit on that shoulder. No, Any idea who the Broncos' backup quarterback is? Is it Mark Rippon's son, Brett? Ding, ding, ding. By the way... And I'm not, is that Mark Rippon's son? I have no idea. I mean, I would assume so. I, I am not trying to belittle the person who just asked this because I get asked this a lot. No, nada, zero, absolutely not, etc. As many ways as you can emphatically deny something, everyone here in Indianapolis needs to understand the Colts are not tanking for Arch Manning. He is a senior in high school. He has to play a minimum of three years of college football before he's even eligible for the draft. There is, I don't care if he is Peyton Manning, John Elway, Barry Sanders, Dick Buckus, Lawrence Taylor, and Jerry Rice all wrapped into one. There is not a single player in the history of football that a team will sacrifice four consecutive seasons to wait on. Unless it's Mike Dick and, you know, Ricky Williams. (laughs) Uh, give it all up i need him (laughs) that was kind of i mean ricky williams is what like the fourth overall yeah uh brett rippon the nephew of mark rippon former colt mark Mm rippon something to watch tomorrow night uh another thing to watch on denver for tomorrow javante williams are starting running back towards acl 
on Sunday. He's out. Melvin Gordon is the backup. I think we all know the name Melvin Gordon, veteran, Wisconsin running back. Um, he has fumbled five times in his last 44 rushing attempts. Are he and Matt Ryan comparing notes? I was going to say, can you bet on who has more fumbles tomorrow night, Matt Ryan or Melvin Gordon? <laughs> there probably is something. Uh, and if you can, I'm hoping you do it on the DraftKings Sportsbook app, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Mm. Um, probably you can wager that, yes. Matt Taylor is going to join us in five minutes. I do want to mention this point from Drew because I think it's a really good point to make with this. Drew goes, I'm all about trading up for your guy, especially in this draft, but let's not forget that for every Mahomes and Herbert you just named, there is a Darnold, Baker, Daniel Jones to counter. Without question, Drew, and I want to make this very clear, it's not easy to find the guy, but if you want a franchise that is going to give you the best chance for sustained success over a decade, it's the path you have to take. It's not the easiest path to necessarily maneuver or find, but you've got to go that path. NFL history would indicate that, particularly this day and age of NFL history. So it's not easy. I don't think anyone is saying it's easy, but it's part of why teams like Buffalo and Kansas City right now feel as good as they do about their franchise. Kansas City for the last five years and moving on. Buffalo for the last couple of years and moving on here into the 2020s. By the way, somebody just asked me, whatever happened to Jacob Eason? I believe he is on the Panthers practice squad, correct? Is that where he's at now? I believe that's correct. 99.999% certain that he is on a practice squad uh, hoping that Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield don't work it out. Whatever happened to P.J. Walker? Colts preseason darling. Wasn't he with the Panthers at one point? He, he He's bounced around. Who's the one that was with the Colts like seven different times in pre... Like, he was the Drew Haddad of quarterbacks. I think it was P.J. Walker. Uh, yeah, yeah. Shorter guy, right? Yep. On yeah. again, off again. Pride of Temple, P.J. Walker. 16 points last night for Jay Nivey in his preseason debut. The Pacers preseason opener is tonight in Charlotte. We'll chat more about that with Jeremiah Johnson coming up at the bottom of the hour. Right now, it's Colts Talk with Stephen Holder from ESPN.com. Stephen, this trend of slow starts to seasons has been there in the Frank Reich era. Um, If you look at the team and the slow start and you look at Matt Ryan and the issues there, uh, do you believe there's similarities at all to past slow starts? Yeah, I think there's some of that. Uh, I think if you look at the slow starts that they've had in recent years, I think one of the big uh, recurring themes is the offense not getting untracked early. And there may be something to that. I think that I have a story coming out tomorrow, and, and Frank has said this before, others have said this, there is a cost to changing these quarterbacks every year. This is not an excuse. This is a choice they made, right? But there is there is a consequence to that, and and I think there could be some there could be some connection there. Uh, the other thing to remember is, you know, Matt Ryan, unlike uh, Carson Wentz and Philip Rivers, he doesn't have any history in this particular system, so he doesn't even have that advantage. And, and I think you can even see it. Like, if you're watching, you can see each week a little bit more. Um, uh, you can see a few more steps, I guess, with the offense. Now, they're all the turnovers undermine everything. 
and it doesn't matter until they stop turning the ball over and Matt Ryan stops turning the ball over. It doesn't matter. I understand that, and I'm not hiding from that. But to your question, yeah, the slow starts, I think I think they've mostly been a, a product of the offense starting slow in many cases. And, and there is there's, a, there's context behind that that's, I think, very relevant. So it, it'll be interesting to see if that offense can continue that progress, and, and maybe this is just a mirage. We'll see. Steven, I'm going to go like way just to the point pessimism here, okay? Um, In your opinion, if the Colts are at their very best, they're at their very healthiest, and every player on the roster has a dream season, what's their ceiling with this group? What's the best they could do? Hmm. Well, I know what I thought before the season, and I don't know whether that matters at this point, but but I think I think a lot of us thought ten to twelve wins okay. before the season so, on paper, right? So not so at their very best, if if they squeeze every ounce of capability out of themselves and every player gets eight hours of sleep per night and feels like a million bucks in the morning, they're still not gonna go to the Super Bowl, correct? Oh, I certainly never never predicted that, right? Right. So <laughs> no. my point being, what are we doing here? What are we doing uh, here? Well, because you got yeah, you got a quarterback that you got a quarterback that's like two years away from. It's nice that Lucas Oil Stadium is close to Washington Street because they can take him to the State Museum because he's like two years from that. And then then we're just going to recycle it again and then maybe try it with like oh guess what Sam Darnold you know they're going to re they're going to reinvent him or you know I don't know who the hell has two years left in their in their career that they can go out and get next and just do this all over again. Geno Smith, here you go. Uh, what are we doing? I mean, like, is there any? Is there any roadmap for the Colts here? Or are we just going to keep doing this recycling, you know, quicksand vat every year, like get excited because they're 12 and 5 and they're competing with Tennessee to go get their ass kicked in Buffalo? No, you're, you're right. There is a lesson here. And again, not to pump myself, or not to pump my story up again, but I'm just going to tell you when the story comes out tomorrow, I want people to read it because what, I, what we'll do, what we're going to do is, is also look at the Broncos in this story, okay, and and how they had a six-year period where they had 11 freaking starters at quarterback. 11. Where are you going, right? Nowhere. And now the Colts are in their – and this is after their franchise quarterback left, Peyton Manning, who was their franchise quarterback for four years. Andrew Luck departs in 2019. The Colts are kind of on the same path. They've gone about it differently, right? The, the Broncos tried to draft guys, but they got the wrong guys. So the Broncos took some shots. They just took the wrong shots. <laughs> the Colts haven't taken any shots. They've gotten veteran quarterbacks. And the results, though, have been the exact same, right? The, the results have been the exact same. Neither team's won a playoff game. No, they've not gone anywhere. And, and I think this Matt Ryan – Solution. Well, I was I was certainly in favor of it. I mean, given the options they had, which were nothing, given their options, I, I like the Matt Ryan option. I think he can still be really productive for them this year. But if you're talking about what's the what's the end game here? No, I don't think it's the Super Bowl. I don't know that I ever thought it was the Super Bowl. Well, I also so, feel like Stephen, with because Denver, I was saying this to Kevin earlier this morning, and I want you to tell me, Stephen Holder of ESPN.com, if if you think this is an accurate statement. Um, it seems to me like Denver with Russell Wilson, Denver radio is probably having similar conversations because 
I think they thought that Denver was ready to plug and play with a veteran quarterback and that they could really make sure. a move here, and they're still really feeling things out. It seems to me like if the AFC has an express lane and a middle lane that's moving decently – that the Colts and the Broncos are both in that far right lane waiting to merge in, and only one of them is going to be able to do it. And tomorrow night is the night we determine which one gets in the right lane and which one just st- – or the correct lane and which one stays on the far right and watches the world go by. And tomorrow's a benchmark game as much as it can be in week five for these two franchises. Fact or fiction? I, I think it it's going to go a long way toward – toward getting them where they want to go. And honestly, I'll be honest with you, I, I think that the Broncos are better equipped to get there. All right? Let's just call it what it is. I'm not saying that they're right now, this minute, the better team. And they may even lose tomorrow. I don't know. The Colts could win that game. There's no question. But the Broncos are, are just better equipped. I mean, Russell Wilson's play in recent years has been far superior to Matt Ryan. Okay? That is not a very aggressive statement. <laughs> okay. Matt Ryan would probably tell you that. So I think if you're, if you're betting, if you're banking on something, you're banking on Russell Wilson. And I think also the, the skill talent that Denver has is also superior. So yeah, I bank on, on Denver in the long term. maybe not tomorrow night. We'll see. But in the long term, that's who I'm banking on. He's Steven Holder from ESPN.com. He's with us here on the pay less liquors hotline. Steven, I think one of the more damning parts right now is, you're in a situation, uh, six straight games of 20 points or less scored. And I think back to the Jim Mercer tweet in the playoffs in January when he talked about, look at the final eight teams. You've got to score 30 in this league. you got to have a quarterback that's capable to get you to 30 points in regulation. And with an offensive-minded head coach right now, y- you can't score. Um, how much do you think that is kind of resonating with Ursay of knowing how the league has evolved, knowing how offensive-centric it is. And right now, the Colts are in a pretty historic offensive rut. No, I, I think that it's it's definitely an issue. And I'll tell you something else. You know who, you know who understands that as well? <laughs> Frank Reich. I've had a number of conversations with him outside of the, the realm of, of the press conference setting, right? And, and those are where you usually get the most honest assessments. I've had a number of conversations where he has – I think very, very clearly uh, admitted and and verbalized the fact that they got to be an aggressive passing team to be a, a factor in today's NFL. Like people may think that you know he's this he's this guy who wants to you know play three clouds or three yards in a cloud of dust. Like no, he he did it out of necessity last year for sure, and and it's not happening right now that they are they're certainly not one of. Uh, the the higher octane offenses in the NFL, but there's an understanding that that's what they have to do. Whether they can get there is a whole other story. <laughs> okay, that, that's just a, a completely separate issue. And right now they they aren't a team that has shown that they can do that consistently. Uh, but I would also say this: the the turnovers are are the biggest factor in the scoring being what it is uh, because. On the other hand, while they aren't necessarily lighting up the scoreboard, they have been moving the football at times. They just can't do it consistently because of the turnovers. So that's really what this boils down to. I mean, Matt Ryan, I believe Matt Ryan is the only quarterback uh, with, with two games over 350 yards passing so far, or maybe one of two quarterbacks so far in the first four games. 
That doesn't mean anything. Who cares? They don't throw you a parade for that. Uh, it's just a, an example that they are moving the ball, but the offense is a complete dysfunctional mess because of the turnovers. Steven, I don't think I put this like on the top, you know, four or five issues right now for the Colts, but I did find it rather, rather alarming. Uh, Sunday against Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill attempted 21 passes. The Colts did not have a single pass defensed in that game, pass broken up in that game. Um, if you look at the season, I think they're second to last in the NFL in uh, hands on balls in the secondary, passes broken up, those sorts of things. It, I get Shaquille Leonard's not out there, but the Colts just aren't creating enough opportunities defensively. And the scheme has changed, but that has been a major, major issue, I feel like, of – the defense has been put in some bad situations, but you cannot allow, you know, quarterback and wide receiver combos to have as easy of a time as they've had in completing passes and contesting those balls in the secondary. Yeah, there's two things happening. Well, you mentioned the, the Titans game. In the Titans game particularly, I do think that Tannehill, he's not the most aggressive quarterback, so he's he's going to make he's going to check it down or he's going to make a, a throw that's that's definitely open a lot of times. So that, that impacts it. But I agree with you. What they have, uh, what we have seen, I think, is you say what you want about Matt Eberflus, but, but his scheme emphasized getting to the football. And getting to the football means um, making passes tough to complete and getting hands on footballs in various different ways. And I know there were, there were, there were frustrating moments in that scheme as well where – you know, they couldn't get off the field. This has been a recurring theme for sure at times. But the one thing I would say is that it, it definitely emphasized turnovers. And it was more than just Shaquille Leonard. It, it wasn't just him. It really wasn't. And, and I think the way they played, the, the way they attacked the football was different. And I wonder sometimes if they – I wondered all along, frankly, if they were going to lose that. And it's hard to tell when Shaq's not out there and how much of it is him and how much of it is the scheme. I don't know. We're only four games in. Let's see what happens after eight or nine games. But so far, it really has been a, a very, very clear difference. Uh, the Colts last season were averaging uh, two turnovers per game. And you just can't, you can't emphasize enough the difference that has made. And regardless, of, it, it is, Shaq is a big part of that. There's no question. Uh, for, regardless of the reason, right? Their turnover margin, I believe, is minus six. They have never had a, they've never had a negative turnover margin under Frank Reich, and now they're minus six after four games. <laughs> like, where are you going? The, you know what I mean? Like, they've been built upon that positive, in fact, very, very positive turnover margin. They they were second in the league last year, and they have been the last couple of years. They've been uh, they've been top five, I believe. So where are you going? if you're minus six, right? So I know that's not the exact question you asked me, but, but I do think there's, there are some scheme-related reasons why they aren't getting uh, hands on the football on defense. And, and I think it's – for a defense that's playing pretty well at times, I, I think it could be much better if they were able to produce some turnovers or at least get some hands on the football. Steven, I want to read you a question that was sent to us by Andrew on – and I think it's a really good question on Twitter. Kevin and I will probably get into this more maybe tomorrow, but – he said, hey, guys, I wanted to ask a question. Whether they're put in bad situations or just playing poorly, which of these players is not having the worst season of their career so far? Matt Ryan, DeForest Buckner, Ryan Kelly, Braden Smith, 
Michael Pittman, Quentin Nelson, Jonathan Taylor, Naeem Hines, or Kenny Moore? <laughs> I think I'm going over so far here. <laughs> I can't tell you that any of those guys are, are not having the worst season of their career. And, and that's, that sums it up, though, doesn't it? Because if those are all the best players on the team. And we've said this. I, I think we've all acknowledged this at some point. Their best players are playing horribly, in, at least in spots. I mean, that's, you can't overcome that. All of your money, all of your, the structure of your team is all built around those guys. Everybody you just mentioned. And then on top of it, Shaquille Leonard's not out there, who's maybe the best of them all. So it's not an excuse. It's just an explanation. Like, you, I don't know how you overcome that. Now, we can, we can debate why that's happening. Why are all these guys producing at such a low level? I, that is, there are any number of reasons why that's true. But the bottom line is it's true. And coaching, not coaching, or whatever, at some level, I expect my best players to go out there and change the game, make something happen. And that has to come from a personal level at some point. I mean, again, coaching will be dealt with, okay? Look, Frank Reich, his fate will be sealed. If this continues, it's over, okay? We don't have to argue about that. That will handle itself. But you can't cut everybody. Even if you change the coach, you can't cut everybody. These guys got to produce, man. Steven, are you uh, surprised at all? Again, Steven Holder from ESPN.com is with us. This time last week, Jim Mersey is about to fire off like 77 tweets about blue alert, loud crowd, primal, passion, et cetera, et cetera. We know uh, how he viewed that Tennessee matchup. Are you surprised we haven't heard anything from him? It's been pretty silent uh, from him since the game. Well, they took his phone, I think, clearly. Um, no, I, I, Wouldn't I, be the I, first I, time, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm not surprised because I will say he, he has been a little more restrained lately. I know maybe that, that doesn't square with what people have seen. But I mean, it's like the only time we heard from him was after Kansas City. And like, part of me is like, you know, if you're going to talk when it's going good, shouldn't you talk when it's going bad? That's fair. I, but I think it's it's deliberate, though, and it's and I'll tell you why. I, I, my at least from my perspective, why this is a deliberate effort by those around him to rein him in, because it doesn't do you any good. <laughs> that's that's the bottom line. It doesn't do you any good, and I think all it did the the videos after that he posted after the Jacksonville loss last season, for example, coming out of two thousand the 2021 season, all they really did was open, open him up to ridicule. Now, I'm not saying he was wrong, right? He should have been angry, and he should have felt uh, passionate about what happened. That's fine, and who would disagree with that? The problem is <laughs> it really just opens you up to be just completely ridiculed when things don't go well. Uh, and, and you don't want to box yourself in, too. I mean, I would also say – you know, some of the things that he said about Carson Wentz, it certainly did not help their, his trade value, for example. So some of his emotional, I don't want to say outbursts, but expressions, put it that way. Is <laughs> that for politically correct? Uh, some of his expressions it just have not been helpful, I guess, is what is, is I think in the view of people around him. So maybe he's listening. I don't know. That would be a first, but maybe. 
Uh, any gut feel on Jonathan Taylor for tomorrow night? And if he doesn't play, do you think it'll be more Hines, more Deion Jackson, or more Philip Lindsay? I feel like he's got a really good shot. I mean, it's, it's just really impossible to, to predict one way or the other, but I think he's got a shot. I, I really do. Um, you know, this guy's tough. This guy is really tough. The question is going to be, is it, is it a good idea for him to play? And, and I don't know. I mean, he, he hasn't impacted the games the last three weeks, frankly. So if he doesn't play, can they overcome that? Yeah, maybe. We'll have to see. But And to your question about whether or what happens if he does not play, it's going to be interesting, you know, because we really haven't seen Hines as a traditional running back very much this year. I don't know off the top of my head how many carries he has. It feels like not very many. I thought I saw um, eight, if that sounds right. Right. So uh, what I'm curious about is does his running style, uh, it, does it does it work any better at all with, with the lack of push we're seeing with this offensive line right now? You know, just because he has probably a different level of quickness and a different gear maybe than, than JT. I don't think he's necessarily faster than JT, but he's a different kind of runner. I don't know. I have no idea whether it will matter. He may get knocked on his rear end, too. I have no idea. But I'm curious. I I don't know. We'll see. I do think Philip Lindsay had a great training camp. He looked good. He looked fast. And he saw it in the preseason. I don't think Philip Lindsay is going to come out there and do something that Jonathan Taylor couldn't behind this offensive line. But I think he could give you – at least a, a viable running game potentially if the blocking is there. So we'll see. And and it's obviously Denver, so re- revenge game for him, I guess. Stephen Holder's our guest. ESPN.com is where you can read his work. Other things that you have working, I realize this game tomorrow is, um, you know, the big one. It's a curveball because, as Kevin had talked about, I mean, short week, you're going into an altitude, which I do think, unlike Frank Wright, could be a factor. Um, but what else you got cooking in terms of coverage on ESPN.com, Stephen? Yeah, I'll go back to the, the story I mentioned earlier. I think is is the is the, prime, is the the impending one, and it's really I think it's just a bigger issue than just what's happening right now with the Colts. This is a broader issue. That this whole the, the quarterback issue really it has dominated the last four years, and and frankly, Chris Ballard. His approach to the quarterback position um, has been to be to be judicious, right, and not be uh, overly aggressive. But it's, it turns out, you know, because he was afraid maybe that being overly aggressive might lead to his demise. Well, maybe not being aggressive leads to his demise as well. We'll see. I, I don't envy the guy. It's a tough situation, but but that's the first thing. Uh, I've got a couple other things cooking as well in the weeks to come, so uh, yeah, I'll get into that a little later. Steven, safe travels to Denver. Um, enjoy that, and we'll talk to you next week. Okay, guys. See you soon. Off to Denver, I believe later this afternoon, is one Matt Taylor. With a Thursday night game, we bump him up to Wednesday and appreciate him for being flexible with us. Mate, I offered a glass. I handed a glass of half full orange juice to Colts fans um, yesterday via the schedule. The next six games, all against teams with records at 500 or worse. If I asked you for a glass of half full right now with the Colts, where would you point? Oh, man. Good question. Um, 
You know, I think glass half full would be, you know, second half adjustments, especially within the defense. You know, because on, on, you know, on Sunday in the third and fourth quarter, the Colts only gave up, I think it was 38 total net yards um, to Tennessee. And, you know, so I, I think you kind of look at that two ways. You know, great that they make adjustments, but what's going on in the first half? You know, why, why can't you play good football and complimentary football in the first half of these games and, you know, point to the resiliency of the team you know, that's a good thing. Um, that's a glass half full where they're never completely out of games. You know, you saw that in week one in Houston and then on Sunday against Tennessee where they were down 21, pulled within seven, had a chance to, to tie had they not fumbled in plus territory. Um, so I guess those are glass half full things, but I know fans don't like to hear that. And, you know, I don't like talking about it, to be quite honest with you, because there's a lot to clean up and there's still – a ton of room for improvement within this team. I still think you're you're talking about self-infliction and, and self-forced errors in a lot of these games and not getting off to quick starts, not being able to put your best foot forward to start these games where, you know, the Colts have been outscored 27-10 to 10 in the first quarter and 65-23 in the first half of these games. So I think, you know, if you if, – now you, you you try to you try to draw conclusions on a team through four games in. That's a, I think a big enough sample size because you've played roughly a quarter of your season here in a 17 game schedule. You know the Colts I think so far are a better second half team than they are first half team, which is quite quite um, you know I think in, in contrast of of what they've been in the past under Frank Reich. You know from 2018 to 2021 they were such a good starting team in the first quarter. Um, so it's it, right now you're just trying to kind of put it all together. But I guess if you're going glass half full right now, it would be the defense's ability to get stops in the second half and the team's resiliency to fight their way back into these games. They're going to need that towards the end of the season because they're going to be in those situations again. But uh, I think the bigger question is how do you get off to better starts? Matt, when you look at the Colts season so far and the frustration thereof, uh, is it like looking in the mirror when you look at Denver? Because I was telling Kevin this morning, I get the impression that the two guys that are doing morning radio in Denver, uh, and inevitably better than we, uh, probably are having a similar conversation about their franchise. Correct? Yeah, they're 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 off to a rocky start too, or or at least an uneven beginning, right? Because they're two and two, and it's funny. I, I, I watch play on words with the rocky start. <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't even think about that. See, I'm I'm smarter than I look. I watched the first quarter of their game on, on Monday Night Football in week one against Seattle. I'm thinking to myself, geez, Denver's pretty good. You know, they're moving the ball really well. And, uh, you know, they got some stops on defense. And then it just hasn't been that consistent for them. I know they've got a boatload of injuries going into this game. And that that's, you know, sort of what kind of um, makes it, I mean, injuries for, for both teams. You know, anytime you talk about a Thursday night game, that's always a storyline. I mean, Javante Williams is banged up. They're banged up along their offensive line with Quinn Minards and, um, you know, Graham Glasgow has had to start at right guard for them the last three games. You know, Randy Gregory is going to miss some time. So they've got a lot of injuries. The Colts are dealing with injuries with Shaquille Leonard and uh, Jordan Taylor, or excuse me, Jonathan Taylor, and then Julian Blackman in the back end. Um, so that that's going to be a big storyline in this game is, is who can play, who's available, and, and what percentage are they – out there on the field, given the fact that they played, you know, four days earlier on Sunday, 
but yeah, Denver's kind of in the same boat as the Colts, looking for consistency, looking to put it all together, and trying to find some answers on offense because both of these teams, uh, just quite frankly, have not been very good putting up points. You know, the Colts, uh, 14 points a game for the Colts, around 16 points a game for Denver. You know, on paper, the winner of this game is going to win it, you know, 20 to 17 or 16 to 13. It might be a an old-fashioned defensive struggle. Both defenses are pretty good, um, so maybe this kind of lends itself to a grinder on Thursday night football. It's Matt Taylor. He's voice of the Colts. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I do think Jonathan Taylor will certainly try and do everything he can to give it a go on Thursday night. Let's say he misses his first game in years due to injury. Naeem Hines, Deion Jackson, Philip Lindsay. If I threw out the number of 25 carries and I said Lindsay got 15 of those on Thursday night, Hines got 10 while still being kind of in his versatile Hines role, albeit he hasn't done that a whole lot this year. And Deion Jackson was primarily still a special team guy. Is that something that you could see or do you believe I've got those carry numbers a little bit off? Yeah, that's that's a great question, and I don't know. I don't know if I have the the right answer for it because since Jonathan Taylor's been here, you know, we haven't had that situation pop up. And in, in training camp and during the preseason, um, you know, at times it was Lindsey the number two. At other times it was Deion Jackson. And then to start the season, it's Lindsey on the practice squad primarily because he's not all that much involved on special teams. So that that is a that is a great question, and plus, you know, they're they're not practicing this week, so the media is not out there to watch. You know, the first couple of periods of of warm ups or uh, individual drills, and for that matter, Lindsey still has to be ca- called up off the practice squad in order for that to happen, which that hasn't had uh, happened yet, and there's no guarantee that's going to take place. So, um, I think that's a logical conclusion considering. Lindsey's experience and the fact that he has been a bell cow running back before he has been a 1000 yard rusher in the past. And it would be a cool story if nothing else, right? Going back to Denver where he grew up, he went to high school there, went to Colorado and was a great story as an undrafted free agent, making his hometown NFL team with the Broncos and, and, you know, making the pro bowl as a rookie, it'd be a great story. Um, but I, I also, too, just personally, I, I love the way that Lindsey runs the football. He runs it He runs it mad. He runs it angry. He is downhill. Um, Doesn't fumble. Know, <laughs> there's, there's that. That's, that's a huge part of it, no doubt. Um, but I, I, that's, you know, saying that the Colts, I think, also really like Deion Jackson. And Deion Jackson, I think, is more of a runner uh, in, in the mold of a Jonathan Taylor, you know, where he's going to be able to – maybe break one or be patient and read th- things at the line of scrimmage, you know, cut off blocks and, and maybe make yards when, when they're tough to come by. Whereas, again, Lindsey is just downhill. And I think there's something to be said for, for both of those styles situationally. So I, th- I think that's the biggest question going into this game. Should Jonathan Taylor not play, who is the primary running back and how do they divvy up those carries between those three guys, knowing full well, too, that, that you want to involve Naeem Hines in the passing game, too. So I really think it boils down to Lindsey or Deion Jackson. But, again, that's a big if because Lindsey still would need to be brought up off the practice squad. And there's so many things that go into that, too. You know, where is Taylor today? Where is he going to be tomorrow? And I think they have until 4 o'clock tomorrow afternoon to make that decision on Lindsey being bumped up from the practice squad. So there's a lot of things that 
are still going to need to be, you know, they, they need to evolve greatly between now and, and, you know, tomorrow afternoon, you know, three or four hours before the game. You know, the release of Desmond Patman yesterday, Matt, I, not so much surprised by that as much as it surprised me a little bit that they would further deplete the receiving core. Am I being too critical? Well, it's it's always tough because, you know, he Chase McLaughlin was out of those designations or, you know, bump-ups, if you will, from the practice squad to the active roster. You can only do that three times. So that that was maxed out. So now if, if he's going to be on this team as a kicker, you know, he's got to be on the team. You, you can't keep bringing him up from the practice squad. So someone had to go. And that's always a really tough situation when you are relatively healthy as a football team, which the Colts are, you know, out, out outside of those guys we just talked about with Taylor and Leonard. Um, but it, it, it's I think it's one of those things where, you know, which which of the position groups can we sacrifice a player? You know, because if you look at the inactives the last couple of weeks, Patman's been on that list. And so now you still you still have five healthy, reliable wide receivers on your team. And so I just think it, it kind of boiled down to a numbers game and roster mechanics. You know, with everybody relatively healthy here, someone had to go. And unfortunately, that guy was Desmond Patman. But he's got until today, this afternoon, to clear waivers, and the Colts would love to bring him back. But considering he is a pretty good player that I think can play for a lot of teams in the league and serve a purpose, um, that, that may not happen. So we'll see how that plays out. Speaking of wideouts and voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor is with us here. Um, last one for me. It's been quite impressive to see the Alec Pierce that, unfortunately, uh, Notre Dame and IU football fans saw uh, tear them apart in college, do the same on those go routes here the last couple of weeks. Um, I, I just feel like that ball, the Matt Ryan to Alec Pierce ball, kind of the 50-50 opportunity down the sideline, the fact that Pierce has shown that, the ability to come down with it at the NFL level is massive for the Colts, and I think it's huge for his development. It should help him open up maybe some other things in the passing game. And to me, Matt, that's got to be a staple of the game plan, at least one, if not two of those balls every week. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's huge to open up the running game. And, and to take, even if you don't complete those passes, you know, it, it sends a message right. that we've, we've, we've got these in our arsenal, and you've got to respect in that. In the back and of it, your I, mind I, as a I, corner, you got to think that's always there. I could not agree more. And I think it's huge for this team to open up, you know, take some shots, open up the playbook and get some chunk plays and just be able to trust a guy that young to make those plays. I think he's got what three catches on the season and he missed a game uh, over at least 20 yards. And he's got one over 30 and another 44 the other day. And he's making them in acrobatic fashion. And to your point, that's exactly what he did last year at Cincinnati where he's going, he's climbing over guys you know, sort of climbing on top of the corner or the defender and going up and, and over and making a con- contested catch uh, or he's able to get separation. And that ball to, to, um, to, to Pierce the other day in plus territory on that last drive before the fumble, you know, he got separation, but it was also a little bit underthrown, but he was able to get enough separation and high point it and bring it down. So it is so important. And I, I throw in Jelani Woods too. Those two, you know, young pass catchers, if you will, for this team – are coming along, and that is so important for the health of this offense, especially in the red zone. You know, the tight ends have four touchdowns combined in the last two games, you know, all red zones uh, with Woods and, and Mo Alley-Cox, and then you throw in the deep ball game that you have there with Alec Pierce that is so big for this offense. 
they need to capitalize on that, and that has to be part of, of what they're going to try to do on, on Thursday night in Denver is to take some shots. Even if you don't complete them, it's big for the respect of that defense to, to respect that and to know you've got that in your arsenal, and hopefully that will open up some things in the running game and this offensive line can get some push on play action. Matt, I apologize on my lack of recollection here. Have you called a game in Denver before? I've been to Denver three times. Um, we haven't played there since 2016. So I've been there. I've been in the radio booth, but I've never been behind the mic for play-by-play in Denver. I'll tell you why I ask. The first time that I went to Denver, I was in college, and I went with some buddies. I was a freshman in college, and we were playing pickup basketball, and I was on the sidelines, and they knew that I was an aspiring you know, radio broadcaster or whatever, and I'd done play-by-play in high school. So for fun, they asked me to do play-by-play. And it was the day that I got there, and like I was like jumbled doing it. I know it sounds weird. Not, not Maybe only I noticed it, but it took a second to catch my breath, like in the fast pace of talking that takes place in play-by-play. And there's no way to, to know this ahead of time, but I will be curious. So put this in your hip pocket. I'm going to ask you next time we talk to you after the game – whether or not the altitude did affect you in doing the broadcast. I'll be curious. I'm, I'm sure it will. No, I'm sure it will. I mean, yeah, that that's that's I mean, I've noticed it even when I haven't done play by play, you know, being down there on the field, um, you know, you I, I don't know if I got necessarily winded per se, but you know, when I when I did speak, um I, I did notice a I don't know what the right term would be, you know, shortness of breath. It's or, weird. Or like it, like not, I, not, not, not as much oxygen coming totally. in at one time. I don't know what it is, right? Packing the oxygen mask, voice of the Colts, Matt <laughs> Taylor, two games in five days. Our coverage will begin tomorrow. Uh, what is that? Five o'clock, Scotty, our coverage for tomorrow? 530. 5.30. Our coverage will begin tomorrow and kickoff comes at 8.15. Mate, safe travels and enjoy the quiet weekend. I appreciate you guys. Be well. Thank you. 22 minutes before 9, and Kevin Bowen, as we get set to have on Jeremiah Johnson, you've got news about Bally Sports, correct? Yeah, kind of fitting. I know we talked with J.J. about this a few weeks back at the Pacers golf outing, uh, but this is from the Indianapolis Business Journal. Pacers Sports Entertainment uh, will provide individuals who purchase a multi-game ticket package with a complimentary six-month subscription to Bally Sports Plus which is a new streaming service aimed at those who no longer have access to game broadcasts through traditional cable service. They also say as part of the promotional effort, the Pacers on Wednesday launched a six-game ticket package that includes access to Bally Sports Plus. Those with 10-game, half-season, and full-season packages also will receive the subscription. So that means that you get additional content, right? I mean... what is Bally Sports Plus? Well, Bally Sports Plus is where the Pacers games will be streamed this season. Okay. So if you are a cord cutter and you have a six-game, ten-game, half-season, or full-season ticket package, you will get oh, ticket. Pacers games. I see what you're saying. Sorry. Yes. Okay. So this is great news. Um, I like it. One question I would have, though, is it says here who purchased a multi-game ticket package. So does that mean if I purchased tickets to two games well, package so that probably means one of the bundled things that they have at put least together. six games right so in other words like when you go into that bed bath and beyond you can buy the little basket that's already wrapped that has the seven lotions in it you you have to get that you can't just buy the two little lotions for the two for 12 
Jeremiah Johnson, happy to join us, picturing me, Jay Query buying lotion. What a transition to Jay <laughs> on this hey, Wednesday morning. <laughs> JJ, I'm just I trying like, to speak the language that everybody can understand here, Kevin. I like that news. I know it doesn't necessarily include maybe everyone. Obviously, there are people out there that you know cannot purchase a six-game ticket package, but at least is a step in the right direction, in my opinion. So does that mean if I go into Bed Bath and Beyond, I can purchase towels, and I have like a stand up of Chris and Quinn, and you get you get that as well? Is that what we're saying here? <laughs> Smothered lotion. <laughs> That's right. Oh, okay. That's exactly right. White rain. Well, yeah. this is, you're right, Kevin. This is, I think, good news. It's a step in the right direction. Ultimately, what I would love is for it get to be October 19th, and we're not talking about this as much. We're talking about what's on the court, and we're basically making the product available to more people. Ultimately, that's what Valley Sports wants. That's what the Pacers want. And really, that's what the NBA wants. Because the one thing that I've tried to tell some people is that there are, it's not an Indiana problem. It's not just here that people have had you know the inability to watch the games. It's I think 17 different teams are, are Valley Sports teams. And so now there is an opportunity. If you did, as you say, cord cut and have YouTube TV, there's a way that you can watch the games this year. And I've said this uh, numerous times. It's the goal of the team and the broadcast crew to make it worth your while. And if you can purchase tickets now as the Pacers are offering an incentive to purchase a multi-game ticket package and you get Valley Sports Plus, that's awesome because ultimately you want invested fans. You want those to watch the games in person. When they can't watch the games in person, you want them to be able to watch it on their phone or their iPad or their television, whether it's cable, satellite, or streaming. So we're moving in that direction. I think it's a step, it's a positive step, and I'm glad to hear it. I don't want to harp on this anymore, JJ, but I do need to vent. Um, why is tonight not on any sort of television? Can we get someone up in the rafters in Charlotte to stream this? <laughs> I, like, I, I, I get that, you know, I don't know. I'm probably putting you in an awkward position. I apologize. It just is like first preseason game. I, I don't get why it's not on some sort of platform. <laughs> well, it's, it's a decision, or it's it's above my pay grade. But I do know if you if you have a league pass or if you um, have the ability, there is going to be a broadcast. There will be highlights. There will be something um, after the fact. Maybe it'll be on NBA TV on delay. I'm not sure about that. But there is going to be a stream and a broadcast, and we are able to to watch it at some point. But uh, you can also listen to Mark Boyle and Pat Boyle and right here. the radio side of things as well. So. Um, you, you, it's kind of like the Indy 500. There's a little bit of a blackout, but you can listen on the radio, so that's a good thing for your your product. Uh, 6.30. Thank you for that. Our coverage will begin right here <laughs> on uh, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Um, what will you be focused on tonight? I, obviously, it sounds like the starters are definitely going to play, uh, but Rick Carlisle will, will get into that bench as well. What are you looking forward to tonight? The first thing is you're seeing Benedict Matherin play his first game in a, in a Pacers uniform, uh, not including Summer League. And to me, that's exciting. This is the highest draft pick in a number of years. There was a lot of anticipation for that selection for the draft lottery. And then to see how he can fit into this team, not just this season, but in the future. So I'm looking forward to seeing him when he checks into the game for the first time, if he comes off the bench, seeing what he can do, seeing how quickly he can acclimate to the NBA game. From what I've seen in practice, I don't think I think he'll be a quick study. I think he has a chance to make a really um, powerful instant impact. And then I want to see Tyrese Halliburton with this front court. Jalen Smith, he played with obviously last season, did not play with Miles Turner. To me, there's no more important relationship than your point guard 
and your big men. And so how does Jalen Smith fit on the floor with Miles Turner? What's that spacing like? And what's that chemistry um, with, with Tyrese Halliburton like? We know that he can play well with Buddy Heald. They played together for a number of years. But if, if Chris Duarte's there in the starting lineup, he did not get to play as much in the second half of the season. So I just want to constantly um, evaluate all season long Tyrese Halliburton, how he makes everyone else around him better, but maybe specifically the big men where there are a lot of young big men. Miles Turner's been around, but you've got Isaiah Jackson, uh, Terry Taylor, uh, even Goga at times. You've got guys that it'll be important for Tyrese Halliburton to make their games easier. Jeremiah, um, I don't know if you knew this or not, you, you and Kristen Airy both, but last week, so it would have been a week ago yesterday maybe, somewhere around there, uh, I have my friends from Australia who are big Pacer fans um, downtown, and, and we ran into you serendipitously, and, and they went bonkers. You're like Beatlemania in Australia. Did you, were you aware of this, or did you know how big you are down under? I was not aware. I was always a crocodile. That sounds weird, does it not, to say that you're big down under? I probably should have worded that differently. Did you know how? Did you know how? Did you know how popular you are in Australia? I should have just simply said it that way. I was not aware. I have done the Pacerous podcast a couple of times, and that seems to be well received. But my guess is there are uh, a number of Pacer fans across the world, and Australia has some. And I know they're some of the most dedicated fans we have. And I think I asked them when when I met with, met with them last week what time the games are. I loved hearing. I think it's a ninth grade. Um, student that he gets the games at 11 a.m. and he's in class and he can turn his phone or his computer on it's kind of like the old days when we would watch the ncaa tournament during school yeah it's good to know that you're corrupting the education of a high school sophomore in melbourne australia good job it's the entire experience (laughs) i always say this about school it's not just about what you learn in class it's what you learn um you know maybe how to be distracted while you're in class because you're going to do that when you're in the working world as well, but it was great. It was great to meet those Pacers fans, and uh, they're lucky they have a, f- a friend like you, Jake, to take them around and show them those amazing experiences around Indiana. Well, they pay me, um, <laughs> Jeremiah. Off of that, though, this year, Marcus and Michael and Melbourne and Pacer fans in general, Kevin and I were talking about it. You know, I, I I think this is going to be a fascinating year and probably a fun one because. I do think that it's by design that the Pacers this year for them is not about accumulating the total number of wins, but rather finding their way and getting the footprint with young players and then putting themselves in position to probably add one more year of good young talent with it and then pushing all in. But I feel like they have enough young talent that they may accidentally win more games than even by design they're intending to. You agree with that? It's, it's a strong possibility. I mean, that's what makes uh, going, it fascinating. Yeah, and I, I, the pressure's off a little bit, and at times when you're not playing with the stress of looking at the standings every day or you lose a game maybe to the Pistons that you feel like you should have won and you worry about how that might affect you in April, I think that will be removed. You know, there's going to be a carefree attitude. Not to say that they don't care, but you're going to be a little bit more relaxed. It's a free-flowing game. It's going to be an entertaining game. From what I've seen in training camp, they're going to play fast. They're going to get out and run, and they're not going to be afraid to let it fly from outside the arc. And I think the roster is constructed a little bit better to be able to take advantage of some of those things. It was an unusual media day for me because for you know nine or ten years, I've had players come in and I've asked them a line of questions about 
you know, shooting for a top four seed or, or trying to, you know, establish that goal to win a playoff series. And I didn't have any of those questions, but still some of the veterans, especially they, they did take offense a little bit to, to where people are picking them. And to your original point, I mean, if you tried out a starting lineup to me of, of Tyrese Halliburton and Chris Duarte and Buddy Heald and Miles Turner and Jalen Smith, and you've got Benedict Mather coming off the bench. I mean, those are, those are, you know, six guys that, you may not put up against the top two or three teams in the Eastern Conference, but if anybody takes them for granted, which we know, you know, sometimes it'll happen in the NBA. There could be a team that plays Memphis or plays, you know, an up-and-coming Cleveland squad, and then on the second half of the back-to-back, they're going to play the Pacers. And if they take the Pacers for granted, it'll be an Indiana win. And so there is an opportunity there, especially the way the schedule starts. Uh, There are some favorable matchups as well. So I do look forward to seeing them play as well as they can. They're going to try to get the wins. I mean, Rick Carlisle is coaching to win. At some point in January and February, you'll sort of evaluate where you are and and maybe make some decisions at that point. But I don't think anyone that's practicing is going to go into this season. They they acknowledge the rebuild and, you know, the the long-term plan. But that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, every game you're you're not trying to win. I mean, you're still trying to win and trying to get better. And part of trying to get better is winning some games. Uh, I was at Ball State on Saturday, Jeremiah. They took on Northern Illinois, and Former I was mascot, watching. Right? Well, that's see the thing. I was watching Charlie Cardinal, which I don't know. If Jeremiah is open about the fact that he. It took years before he finally came clean and said I was Charlie Cardinal. I think, <laughs> but um, we know this now, and it's and it's okay. We've worked through that. But Charlie Cardinal was down um, doing like Michael Jackson style dancing with the dance squad for Ball State, and I wondered if you had those kind of moves back then, or did you just simply you know get to wear the uniform because you know you're big down under. <laughs> wow what a loaded question oh, this is uh, awkward. i did have those dance moves for those that were ball state fans in the late 90s you might remember the costume or the feathers were a little bit different than they are now so it was a little harder to really um show mm-hmm. off those dance okay, moves. that was true. kind of a, yeah. a confident but Wait, at times clumsy hold on cardinal. you gotta wear the big mascot floppy feet and you're blaming it on the feathers well, feathers was in air quotes there. Not it's not just the feathers. It's you, know, you had there was a lot that went into that costume. I mean, I would say my Charlie Cardinal costume was twice the size of what the current Charlie Cardinal is. So yeah, it looked I a little bit tougher. It was tougher to you know put forth the dance moves, but it was still. Uh, it, I'm glad you were able to share that story with. <laughs> With your listeners, JJ. <laughs> last one from me. Back on topic here. Um, Gogo Batadze, Aaron Neesmith. What are your expectations for them this season? Oh, they're a little bit different. I'd probably say that I'm more, you know, looking forward to seeing Aaron Neesmith because I would compare him a little bit to Jalen Smith. And when the Pacers got him last February, I think people thought, yeah, this is this is a favor to Torrey Craig to get him to Phoenix. We'll take Jalen Smith. We'll see what happens. And when you trade Malcolm Brogdon to Boston, you get that future first-round pick. Maybe you do Malcolm Brogdon a little bit of favor. You open up some playing time in your backcourt. And you take on Aaron Neesmith and you say, let's see what happens. He's going to get every opportunity to show that he was a lottery pick for a reason. And he does some things out there on the court that, you know, you can't teach. I mean, he's got some real athleticism. Uh, He's been waiting for this opportunity. So, for me, Aaron Neesmith, he might have been the second person other than Benedict Mather that I'm most looking forward to watching tonight and in this preseason. For Gogo Bataze, it's probably a little bit different because, to be perfectly honest, it's a crowded 
front court room and maybe even crowded specifically at the center position. And I think you want to start the season seeing how Halliburton and Miles Turner can play together. You've got Jalen Smith. I'm really intrigued by Terry Taylor playing some backup four. And Isaiah Jackson is someone that this franchise is, you know, one of those guys they're trying to build around. And so by saying all those names, I'm not quite sure where Gogo Batase fits in. He's been injured at times in his Pacers career. So I don't know early in the season, night in, night out, whether you're going to get a chance to see him. But I do know that, you know, the clock is ticking for Goga. He needs to show he can be an NBA player. So I do know that when he does get a chance, and it'll happen. I mean, there'll be injuries and there'll be a chance for him to get in the rotation. Um, he'll have to, you know, try to make the most of his opportunity to prove he belongs in the NBA. But a little bit different expectation and anticipation level for those two players. So if I, do I have this right? Nothing tonight and nothing Friday on TV for the preseason, and you guys will do next Wednesday and next Friday's games? That is correct. And then there will be a Pacers season preview show that will come out the week of the regular season opener. And then we'll, as always, do our one-hour Pacers live pregame show prior to the season opener. So, again, uh, you might be able to search around League Pass. It's the preseason contracts are a little bit different than the regular season contracts. So, when once you get to next Wednesday, you can count on probably uh, all or – at least at this point, it sounds like all the games on Valley Sports. And, and this week, uh, just two more days to kind of figure out what's happening. And, and, and really devote your attention to Mark Boyle on the radio side of things. Yes, tonight, 630, Atta our coverage boy. will begin uh, right here on the fan. Pat Boylan will lead you into the, tonight's With broadcast. the newly married Pat Boylan. Yes, so, you chaotic. Know, he's back from a, a brief, brief honeymoon and... He'll be uh, on the pregame radio side of things at 6.30. Yeah, chaotic little wedding there for Pat Boylan. Glad to hear that they were able to get that done and that he will be on the coverage tonight along with Mark Boyle. JJ, as always, thank you. All right, I appreciate it, and shout out to all my fans in Australia. (laughs) That's right, both of them. Down under, right? Yep. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh.